0: Father, I ask you now that you would help us, that you would help us to hear the word of God, you would help me to proclaim the word of God. I pray that you would send your spirit to awaken us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to correct us, to convict us. Father, that we might be drawn to you, that we might know how to war a good warfare and fight the good fight of faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the book of First Peter was written to a dispersed and scattered group of believers. And um, in this epistle, there's really much instruction on how to deal with different uh, persecution and how to deal with suffering that comes into the life of the believer. And Peter is exhorting them uh, as to how to deal with suffering. When we get to chapter number 5, that's still kind of in view, but there are some specific instructions to elders in the church, and there are specific instructions to everybody in the congregation And those instructions uh, are instructions concerning humility. In fact, the whole um, part there could be really summarized in verse number five. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And then it says, "Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility uh, toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so the the Christian community is the community of the humble. We ought to be that way anyway. We're meant to be a people that are marked by love and marked by humility in our love and service for one another. But interestingly enough, he goes from the concept of humility uh, down to verse number uh, seven, talking about casting all our anxieties upon the Lord because the Lord cares for us. And then he goes on also to speak about, in verse number eight and nine, about a spiritual warfare, that you and I ought to be sober, we ought to be watchful, because there's an enemy uh, that prowls around like a lion, looking for our souls to devour. And so the Bible uh, teaches us these, these different themes all coming through together. We've got this theme of submission. We have this theme, uh, not only of submission, of, of dealing with anxiety and cares, and then following that immediately, we have this other theme coming in of spiritual warfare, and these are not disjointed uh, pieces of a puzzle, but these are actually uh, integrated in the text by the Holy Spirit for our learning. Uh, God has a very uh, specific reason as to why he has done these, and these combination of themes, submission, anxiety, and sobriety, uh, are there for our good and for our learning. And those can be seen in connection in verses 6, 7, and 8. Verses 6 to 7 is one entire sentence, and we'll read it now. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so we're exhorted to humble ourselves, and he says, under the mighty hand of God. And while we are under the mighty hand of God, we must make sure that we remain under the mighty hand of God, uh, that he may, he may, not us, he may lift us up. He may exalt us in due time, in his proper time. And so the believer in life is met with many trials and many afflictions, and they come ultimately from the hand of God. God has ordered it that way so that you and I might grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And so the Christian is met with many afflictions, as these believers were about to be met with and had been met with. And But also, as they were to be afflicted, they were to remain at the mighty hand of God, but while they were there under their afflictions, the Bible says that they were to cast all their anxieties on the Lord because the Lord cares for them. And see, while we're under the mighty hand of God and going through afflictions in life, it's very easy to have a wandering mind. When the Christian is met with, with difficulties in life and, 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 and pain and suffering and, and all these things, we become more prone to anxious thoughts and allowing those things to dominate our, our minds. And so he encourages them, while you're under the mighty hand of God, remain there, but cast all your care upon the Lord, because the Lord cares for you. And then he gives a command to be sober and to be watchful, to be sober and to be watchful. To be sober and to be watchful is the idea of not letting your mind be intoxicated with those anxieties, not letting your mind be intoxicated with those cares. Now let me um, illustrate this for you, and it it will make maybe a little bit more sense. Years ago, I, 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 about four years ago now, I had a surgery on my uh, right thumb here. I had what they called a giant cell tumour. Now, it sounds much worse than what it is because it was more like a cyst and it wasn't really giant. It was about less than a five cent piece. But anyhow, it was, it was just there causing no pain or nothing. So, but they said, look, it's good to get rid of it because these things, you know, just get rid of it. I was playing a bit of tennis and squash with my wife and it was just in the way. Anyhow, so I went in and... and um, I went to the doctor's office and I had a a surgery and I I didn't know what to really expect but they gave me a few needles in the thumb and uh, it was just the doctor and a nurse there and I was expecting things to be a little bit more professional but anyhow, it was happening. There was no going back. And so anyway, sitting there in a doctor's surgery, I thought, well, okay, I'm not asleep. I've got these needles in my, my thumb and my thumb is starting to numb. And they put my hand on the table. Then I was sitting down. Then they gave me a pillow there, and I thought, "Oh, I'll just have a watch and see what they're doing." And so, as I'm watching, and he's cutting there along along this part of my thumb, um, I started to sweat, and uh, and I started to just get a little bit, you know, anxious, thinking oh, this is not good, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know what, what's happening here. So I buried my head in the pillow, right, and I just said, "Okay, Lord, you know." you know, I'm just, it's okay, it's going to be fine, you know, not, they've probably done this many times before, and start speaking to myself words of encouragement to help me uh, remain, as it were, under the hand of the physician as he was doing his task. And this is exactly kind of what it's like, or similar to what it's like, as we go through different surgical operations that were in the Christian life, or difficulties that we face, that God is working something in our lives, but we are met at that very moment of pain and suffering with anxieties that flood in. And at that very time that the anxieties flood into our minds, we must lay ourselves and our cares upon the Lord. We must keep our minds sober. You see, if I did not keep my mind sober and allowed those fears to dominate my mind and my heart, I'd be running out of that surgery with an open wound and um, probably infection would have lost my thumb in the long run. But you understand the principle there, that there is my, my level of submission to the work of the surgeon was subject to the amount of fear and, that I allowed in my heart and the amount of sobriety that I maintained while under his mighty hand. And that's exactly what the text is trying to share with us here and, and teach us here. Go to chapter 3 of First Peter, and I want us to see in verse 5 and 6, there's a similar principle coming through here. There's, there's a correlation and relationship between fear, anxiety, submission. Um, and that's why if we are insecure... We usually have a problem with being controlling uh, because our insecurities lead us to take control. Now, look at this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5 to 6. It says, "'For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God "'or trusted in God used to adorn themselves "'by submitting to their own husbands, "'as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, "'and you are her children if you do good "'and do not fear anything that is frightening.'" It says in the NIV, uh, like how it puts it there, and do not give way to fear. And what it's simply saying here is that here is Abraham, and here is Sarah. And Sarah was a woman that hoped in God and trusted in God, and she displayed that by her submission to her husband. Now, it's simply saying is that that you can also be like Sarah and submissive to those who are in authority in your life if the condition, you don't give way to fear. If you do not allow your heart to be gripped by fear, because the very fear that will grip your heart will cause you not to submit, not to trust in the leadership, as it were, not to trust in those who are in authority in that situation. And that applies very much well to um, all areas of our life. Marriage, it applies to the church, it applies to, obviously, as we're looking here, our relationship toward God. And so go back with me to 1 Peter chapter five. And we'll see how, how we are called to be sober-minded and commanded to be. But I want us to keep that in the back of our minds as we go through, uh, because it's very important to understand the mechanics of our thinking and anxiety a little here. Now, it says in verse number 8, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Now, these are commands that the Lord has given to us, to be sober-minded and to be watchful. Now, to be sober is to be the opposite of intoxicated. It means to be controlled, to be calm and collected. It's really to keep your head clear, to keep your mind clear, not being carried about by different thoughts and different fears and different worries. To be sober-minded and, and being watchful are quite similar, but to be watchful means to be alert. It means to be on guard. It means to be perceptive. And we are commanded here to be, both be sober-minded and both to be watchful. And we must therefore not let our minds be intoxicated. Now, just as alcohol intoxicates people that have it in excess, so worry dominating the mind causes an intoxication of the mind. This is what it's saying here. Wayne Grudem says it this way. He says, Be sober forbids not only physical drunkenness, but also letting the mind wander into any kind of mental intoxication or addiction which inhibits spiritual alertness or any laziness of mind which lulls Christians into sin through carelessness. He, the devil, knows how easily Christians can lose their spiritual concentration through mental intoxication with the things of this world. There is repeated instruction in Scripture not to take, to take worry or to care for the things of this world, not to be overly concerned about the things that are before us and that they are the things in which God takes care of. Because God knows just as well, if we're honest with ourselves, that we, as we know that we are so prone to allow our minds to wander away from trusting in God to the very things that are before us. And in so doing, it doesn't take very long before we become intoxicated with fears and worries and troubles about, really, in light of eternity, only very um, insignificant matters, in light of eternity, I say. And so it's important that we remain sober-minded and remain watchful in our day-to-day battle because a failure to be sober minded and a failure to be watchful puts us in a very dangerous situation in regards to spiritual warfare so why be sober why be watchful well verse 9 uh, eight gives us the answer it says your adversary your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour you see, the Bible doesn't paint the life of the Christian as a bed of roses where there is no enemies and where there is no problems. You know, heaven will be the place where all those things are resolved. That will be the consummation of all things. And there there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more trial, no more enemies. We will there be in the presence of God forever and ever in joy and bliss. That will be a time where, where soberness and watchfulness in terms, in relationship to our enemy, won't be necessary. They will be the times where there will be peace forevermore in the presence of our God. But friends, we are not living in that time now. We are living in times where Satan still is working and is not sleeping and desires to devour the Christian as we are seeing here. He desires to swallow up the Christian and to destroy us in our work for the Lord. And so Satan is described here as an enemy, but is described in three ways. Firstly, as the roaring lion, but not only as the roaring lion, but the roaring lion who walks about or prowls about, and the roaring lion who not only walks about and prowls about, but seeks whom he may devour. These are present tenses. These are active things that describe Satan's work now, that Satan is walking around he is a roaring lion and he is seeking whom he may devour satan is active that's what we have to understand this is what the text is teaching us that our enemy is not sleeping he is alive he is working and he has an agenda and a goal which is to seek to destroy the christian he's our enemy he's not a friendly lion he's an enemy of the cross He's our soul's greatest enemy. And we must be sober, as the Bible says, and watchful. Because the Bible presents him not only as a lion, but as a serpent. The serpent which beguiled Eve in subtlety. So he doesn't always come, as it were, as a roaring lion, even though that's who he is. But he comes also as a serpent. The Bible talks of him as an angel of light. And that means that he may very well deceive people on their path of truth. You know, so many times we we can think that we're doing the right thing, but in fact we're doing the wrong thing and being encouraged in that which appears to be right and appears to be biblical, but in fact it can cause much harm and damage. How we treat brothers that are wayward perhaps, or how we treat uh, one another that uh, do us wrong. You know, there's this fine balance between justice and righteousness and mercy and love. And it's so easy to to be encouraged, even by the enemy, in the justice and righteousness too far that we take the sword that's reserved for a heretic and strike our brother. And so there are these things that are really uh, present realities in the Christian life. Satan not only is a serpent, but he's an angel of light. He appears as an angel of light, but also he is a roaring lion. And he desires to devour and to destroy the Christian. Now, the image of a lion is, 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 a, is the, you know, the king of the jungle, as it were. He's a very powerful force. And, and lions don't play games with their prey. The idea is that a lion prowls around, and as it finds its prey, it goes in for the kill. And this is the idea. Seeking whom he may devour, it means to swallow up, to, 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 to gulp up. He's not just seeking to wound you, Christian. He's seeking to destroy you. And to build on that illustration just a little bit further, we as Christians many times are sadly alike herd of deer, herd of deer. There by the pool of despondency, there drinking from the what-if waters and the troubled uh, rivers, there with our heads buried, uh, as as it were, in the lake, in the river, drinking, drinking, drinking of cares and worries and trouble. And while our minds and while our hearts are there fixed, there in the pool of despondency, we become prime targets of satanic attack. Because that it is there while our minds are in the pool of despondency and in uh, drinking from these, these, these fears and anxieties, it is there that we start to stop reading our Bibles. It's there that we start to you know, stop praying more fervently about those worries and cares. It's there, as, as we're drinking from those, those worries and of those fears, that we start to loosen all the spiritual disciplines that are so vital for our soberness and our watchfulness in our spiritual warfare. It is there that we are prime targets for enemy attack. And that's what we must be careful of. We must be sober. We must be watchful. We must take care to the thoughts that enter into our minds and must not let them dominate, but we must cast them on the Lord. We must lay them upon him, knowing that he cares for us. But I want you to see with me in verse number 9, the response to such a present enemy. The Bible not only encourages us to be sober-minded and watchful so we don't allow ourselves to be in a prime position of attack, But even though we may be sober and watchful, Satan still will lob an attack. Now, it says there in verse number 9, it says, resist him firm in your faith. Or resist him firm in the faith or in the faith that is yours. The faith that God has given you. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We're encouraged to resist him. The word resist literally means to stand against him. It has the idea of taking a stand, of holding your ground, of not giving way to him. Like, like we said, not giving way to fear, not giving way, not giving a foothold, as it were, for the devil, but we stand against him. It's a posture of, of deliberation. It's a posture of firmness. It's a posture of security or on, on guard. We are standing against him. We're not moving back. We're not necessarily moving forward. We are holding our ground. This is the idea. Resisting him means to hold your ground. As it were, erect yourself as a stiff wall. Hold your ground firm, it says. Hold your ground firm or steadfast in the faith. The Christian is to be firm in his faith. He is to steadfastly hold his ground and give no room and no place for the enemy. And he has to do this in his faith. He must do this via the exercise of his faith. There are two considerations that we have to understand here before we move on. Firstly is this, that there is no true exercise of faith unless it is rooted in the Word of God. We must understand that that faith is not something that we create within ourselves by a matter of pep-talking to ourselves things that are not even true or just imagining certain things this is not what faith is it's not the fuzzy feeling that comes into our hearts that's not faith that is going to stand in the evil day faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of god god gives faith but he gives faith through the instrumentation of his word and as you and I hold fast to the truth of God, meditate on the Word of God, understand the Word of God, learn the Word of God, we will find that our faith will go from strength to strength. And so this is not just a matter of exercising faith that is that is more of an imaginationary thing. This is holding fast and standing on the Word of God and then exercising your faith and believing in God and what He has said in His Word. So faith has a very inseparable link to the word of God that's important but what we must understand is that having truth alone is not sufficient truth must be exercised you see there are two dangers here and the second danger is something that we're perhaps more likely to fall into is that we can know what the bible says about God but the question is do we believe and exercise and and stand and live in light of what the bible says about God that changes the whole dynamic It is one thing to say and understand truths about God, but it's another thing to apply those truths of God. You see, the Bible says, cast your care upon the Lord, for he cares for you. It's not enough to know that he cares for you. You need to know that he cares for you so that it drives you to take your worries and fears and cast them on the Lord. The Bible teaches us also that we are to take the shield of faith, but it's not good enough to know that we have a shield of faith. We must hold up the shield of faith when we're confronted with the flaming darts of our enemy. The Bible teaches us that we must have our feet planted on the Word of God, but that we also must exercise our faith on the authority of the Word of God. The question that I want to ask now is, how do you respond to anxiety? How do you respond respond to fear and doubts and evil thoughts? Let me ask you this morning, have you been intoxicated With cares and worries that should have been laid upon the shoulders of our God? Have you been drinking from the waters of of fear? Have you been drinking from the what if waters? Have you been down at the pool of despondency? Have you been living there on the low plains, down in the pools of despondency, there with your head buried in the water, as it were, open for enemy attack? Have you been believing the lies of the enemy? You know, Satan says to Eve, has God said? And so he comes to us and says, has God said? He says to us, if, if, if God loved you, wouldn't things be different now in your life? If God loved you more than he loves the wicked, then why do the wicked prosper? And why is it you suffer? Surely God wouldn't allow his children to suffer such horrible harm and sickness and pain and death. Surely if he loved you, you know, th- this, this, this wouldn't be your lot in life. He wouldn't wait, make you wait this long for that which you've been praying for for years and years and years. Oh, if God really cared, wouldn't he act right now, right now in the way that you want him to? These are all lies from the enemy causing us arrows, darts that fly into the mind of believers and they cause us to doubt the goodness of God. He says things to us like this, is he really who he says he is? I mean, like you read all these things in the Bible, but hey, like what about in your life? Christian, don't listen to his lies. The Bible clearly commands us that we ought to resist him firm in your faith. We must resist him. You and I must take up that shield of faith and quench those flaming darts of the enemy. When when those words are, are flying, as it were, into our hearts and into our minds, we need to reply to those things. Yes, you must reply, God has said, but he said that he would never leave me nor forsake me. Yes, God has said that he works all things together for good to them that love God. God has said that his mercies are new every morning and that his faithfulness is great. God has said that he sits in the heaven and he does whatsoever he pleases. God has said that no good thing does he withhold from them that walk uprightly. God has spoken, dear people of God. God has spoken in his word. And although you do not see the answer now, it is on its way. God has said that nothing shall separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. God has spoken. He sits upon a throne. He rules and reigns from all eternity. And his wisdom far exceeds mine. It's far higher than the heavens, as it were. His thoughts are way higher, way wider, way deeper than mine. And just because I don't understand what's going on, it doesn't mean that God isn't good. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Just like that sun that shines beyond the clouds. The sun's shining today, you know that, even though you can't see it. It's shining. So God continues to shine. And all that is true of him will be true of him for all eternity, whether you believe it or not. And when the clouds come over our day, when the clouds come over in our life, we must remember that the sun still shines and that our God has ordered that the clouds will be over our lives for a period of time. We must respond in such ways to the enemy. Oh, but Satan's more tricky than that. He comes and says, yes, yes, these are all good things, but you know, you've sinned. Oh, you've sinned. Just like uh, Job's friends were telling to Job, you know, you've sinned, you've done wrong here. Surely this has happened to you because you've done wrong. Well, brethren, there's more scripture to help us with that, is there not? In Romans chapter 8, verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect?" It is God who justifies. Who is he to condemn? It is Christ Jesus that died. More than that, who was raised. And is at the right hand of God making intercession for us. Jesus is praying for his people. You know, when Satan, Jesus said to to Simon Peter, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat and might test, as it were, Peter's faith. And Peter, quite sadly, fell into temptation and denied his Lord three times. But you know what Jesus said? He said, I have prayed for you that your faith Fail not. He had the assurance of a high priest whose intercession is perfect and never fails. Jesus prays not in vain. If he prays for you, he will see you to the end. He is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever lives to make intercession for them. Jesus Christ stands and his wounds plead for us. Satan may say, you have sinned, how can God love you? Well, I've never been loved by my own righteousness to begin with anyway. My righteousness never earned favor with God. I am loved by a merciful God. That song we'll sing after the service in verse number 2, before the throne of God above. In verse 2 it says, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within... He says, "Upward I look to see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me, to look on him and pardon me. Do you see these sure foundations that you and I can rest our soul in? We don't need to fear and worry and be troubled by enemy attacks. We have a God who is in control, who cares for us more than we could ever know. The call to worship this morning was from Psalm 42. Turn there with me and we have a look at it together. Your Church Bibles 5.56, Psalm 42. Psalm 42, verses 5 to verse number 6. Here, David is pursuing after God, he's thirsting for God. Sorry, the psalmist here is thirsting for God. And look what it says in verse 5 and 6. Speaks to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil, disquieted, or troubled within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. You see what's happening here. Here is a man that is wrestling with his own soul. And brethren, we must wrestle with our own souls. We must not just believe every thought that enters into our hearts. We must not just accept the way in which we feel. We must deal with those things that enter into our lives. And question ourselves and interrogate ourselves and say, What's wrong with you, O soul? Why are you troubled? Why are you in turmoil? Why are you disquieted within me? And then you need to encourage yourself. No, no, hope in God. Hope in Him. Or then you you need to make a commitment and say, I'm going to yet praise Him. I'm going to praise this God who is my help and my God and my salvation. We must speak to our soul in this way and, and as it were, uh, sing to our soul blessed truths that help us in our warfare. You know, I love the, the, the hymns that, that encourage us along these, 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 these troubled paths in which we live. You know, we, we need to talk to ourselves, as it were. Not in, I'm talking about not in a crazy way. I'm just simply saying you need to encourage yourself in the Lord. You can't just wait for Sunday, brethren. <laughs> This is good and this is healthy. But Monday to Saturday, you're going to have darts coming your way, and you better take hold of that word of God and encourage yourself. You better examine your heart and say, Lord, why, oh, my soul, why am I feeling this way? Why am I troubled? Hope in God. Trust in Him. Believe on Him. I love the hymn that says, Praise my soul, the King of heaven. To, my, to His feet, my tribute bring. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who, like me, his praise shall sing. Praise him, praise him. Praise him, praise him. Praise the everlasting king. What a song. Praise my soul, the king of heaven. Awake, my soul, and sing of him who died for thee. And hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. What are we doing here? We're telling our souls, wake up. Praise the living God. He is alive, he is well, he is ruling, he is reigning. He is king forever. Are you persuaded of his goodness this morning? Are you persuaded of his power? Are you persuaded that our God rules and reigns forevermore? Are you persuaded that the trials and fears that come into, the things that come into your life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in you? Do you trust in the God who, has, is, who is working all things after the counsel of his own will? Do you believe in a God who loves us, who sent his son to die and redeem us from the bondage of sin? Do you trust in him? And my friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your saviour this morning, look to the Lamb of God. What a wonderful saviour is Jesus our Lord. A wonderful saviour to me. He hides my soul in the cleft of the rock. He keeps his people. He loves his people. And if you come to him, and if you come to him, he will not cast you out. I don't understand how the unbelievers deal with fear and anxiety in their lives. They have no sure foundation that we have, brethren. They have not the hope of a a sovereign God. They have not the hope of salvation and, and, and the strength that we have from God. My friend, if you don't know Jesus, come to him. He will save you. He will save you. In Habakkuk chapter number three, I'm going to read this. Habakkuk is seeing the destruction of his people and he's troubled and he's questioning why, what is happening here. But in the end of this song in, in in verse 17 of chapter 3 he says though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no fruit the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls." that in modern language what he's simply saying is if i lost my job if i lost my house <laughs> if if everything that i possess is gone If I have a situation, as it were, like Job, where my family's gone, everything's gone, we've lost everything, what am I going to do? And then he says in verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Here is a man that is resolved to lean upon his God, even though everything in his vision is telling him, Don't do that, don't do that. It's like Job, he's lost everything. His family, his livestock, he's lost it all. In one day, three people come to him, three different groups of people, as as our brother read this morning. But the Bible teaches us that Job worshipped. Worshipped. He said, you know what? I came into this world naked. I'm going out naked. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, listen to these words, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's an upright man who's sober-minded, watchful, who casts his cares upon the Lord. You know what the Bible says? If you cast your cares upon the Lord, here's the promise. He will sustain you and he will never suffer the righteous to be moved. Take your shelter in God. He cares for us. Just in closing, a few comments on 1 Peter 1, 5, verse 9. If you turn back there with me, 1 Peter 5. few comments on verse 9 and 10 it says resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world first point of encouragement is that you are not the only one going through trials and afflictions in your life the bible says there is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And here is the same truth. There is a brotherhood, not only of the humble, but the brotherhood of the afflicted. And Satan wants you to feel like you are the only person going through this troubled time in your life. But my friends, you are not the only one. There are saints that have gone before. There are saints that are going through this now. And there will be saints that continue to go through this in the future, who have cast their cares on the Lord and have been sustained be encouraged by that. But verse number 10, the next thing that we need to recognize is this, that suffering is included in God's purposes for our perfection and our maturity. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And I love this, to him Be dominion forever and ever. Amen. The God who reigns forever and ever, who is king over all, dominion over everything. He has ordered, he's a God of grace and he has ordered that via affliction, you will come out stronger, more comforted, more established and more settled in your God. Next time you're going through trouble, remember that. James says that. Count it all joy when you fall into different temptations and trials, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience and endurance. And so, dear brethren, I want to encourage you this morning. Do not drink from the pool of despondency any longer. Cast your care upon the Lord. He will sustain you. Hold up the shield of faith against those fiery darts of the wicked one and stand firm in your faith as you walk through this life. Let's pray. Oh Lord in heaven, we acknowledge that we are weak in this area. Lord, I know even for myself, I have drank many times from the pool of despondency. Father, I pray that you would keep us from that and help us to never forget all that you are and all that you are to your people. Lord, you alone are our helper, our strength, our shield. Help us to believe in you and to cast our cares and anxieties upon you, knowing that you care for us. I pray that you would help your people with whatever struggles they're going through, Lord, even now, that you would lift up their soul, Father. You would help them to lean heavily upon their God and to sing praise to their God, to worship you, and to cast their whole lives into your hands as they wait under the mighty hand of God, as they rest under their trial of affliction. I pray that you strengthen them. And I pray that you'd help us to realize that we cannot do this apart from you. So we trust in you to help us even now. In Jesus' name, amen.